We're in a series called Seeking God, Seeking God, and we're, we're asking this question, not just what, is, what should we be seeking, but we're asking this question here, what is God seeking? The beginning of this year, I really felt very strongly that we need to be asking the question, what is it that God is seeking? What is he seeking after? Last week, if you weren't here last week, you can go back and watch that on the podcast or on YouTube, and we just talked about that God is seeking a people whose whole hearts are committed to him. We, we looked at a case study of a, of a king in the Old Testament who started his life wholehearted for God, and then over the course of time, began to his passion for Jesus began to to dwindle down, and the end of his life, he literally rejected God, which could happen to every single one of us, and some of you have friends and family that were just like that. It's amazing how many people I've talked to in our church that said, such and such got me to church, they were so on fire for church, and it's crazy, because I'm in church and they're not in it anymore. How many y'all know some people like that? They got me here, and then all of a sudden, where are they? This can happen for every single one of us, so we just said at the beginning of the year, what does it look like for us to go all in? put our whole hearts into this. And uh, today we're gonna, we're gonna look at a, a, a different part of this, but I think it's safe to say that our society deals with constant distraction. How many would agree that our society is very distracted? Very distracted, constantly, constantly distracted. I, I don't know if you feel this way. I feel like my brain oftentimes is like a computer that has too many tabs open. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, like. Like, it's just like there's so many tabs that are open, and I'm like, oh, God, my mind is just so, so many different places. I can wake up first thing in the morning, and everything is, like, vying for my attention. Everything is just is, 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 uh, consuming my mind from work to church to people to my, to my kids to, you know, future to, I mean, to my past. I mean, it's just everything's coming, coming at you, coming, coming at me. You, you feel this oftentimes. You ever find yourself wishing that there was like a do not disturb button in life? Yes. How many of y'all know about the do not disturb button? If you got an Apple phone, you know what this is like. I mean, I mean, that was like one of the greatest days when that thing came out, the do not disturb. I don't know if you know this or not, like you can set your phone to be on do not disturb for certain parts of the day. So like I have my phone set at like seven, I think eight o'clock from eight o'clock to 7 a.m. My phone is on do not disturb. You can try to call me. You can try to text me, you're not gonna get through to me. It's on do not disturb because I like my sleep. Come on, somebody. I like it all. Like, I ain't having stuff buzzing on me, beeping on me. Like, it's do not disturb. Do not disturb. I mean, you wish you could just put that over your children sometimes, like a button, and you just swipe it. And it's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> do not disturb mode. <laughs> can't, can't happen. Can't happen. Everything is vying for your attention. And I think the best and worst thing that was ever invented was the smartphone. It's the best thing that was invented and the worst thing that was invented all at the same time because now as soon as you wake up, everything in this world is vying for your attention. Pinging, notifications, emails, text messages, phone calls, and now we've got all these apps that have all of these notifications. I'm gonna just do you some really good right now. I can just tell you right now, just to help your soul, go turn off every notification you got. That was one of the first things that I did when I went on sabbatical was learning the art of I don't have to be available all the time to everything, to everyone. So learning just to turn off every notification that there is, just because everything is, is coming for your attention. Tony Ryan, he wrote a book called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Incredible book. 
incredible book. But this is what he said. Look at, look at this. Watch. He said this. He said, the average person checks their phone 81,500 times each year or once every 4.3 minutes of our waking lives, which means even while like I'm preaching right now, some of y'all will check your phone at least eight times, at least eight, just to see. How many of y'all just, it's just a natural thing. Like you just check, you don't even realize you're checking it. You're just checking it so often. It's just, it's just there. I mean, now we bring our phones into the bathroom. Why don't we bring phones in the bathroom? You didn't bring your phone into it when it was a cordless phone. You didn't do that. How many of y'all remember cordless phones? <laughs> How many of y'all remember phones with cords? <laughs> there's, there's that generation. Okay, right there. Yeah. Now it's, it's, it's constantly there. And most of us feel like we're just constantly being pulled in so many different directions. Do you know that in the Middle, middle Ages that there was a form of torture Listen to this. There was a form of torture in the Middle Ages, and the name of this torture device was called distraction. Let me show you what it actually looks like. This is actually the name. It was, it was distraction here. Man in the middle with every single one of his limbs tied to a horse, and they called this death by distraction. That was the name of it, death by distraction. This was before iPhone. And, and some of you feel this way internally. You feel this way. You feel like you're just getting pulled. My boss is pulling on me. My kids are pulling on me. My spouse is pulling on me. I, I, I feel this tug like God is pulling on me. Like I've got so much that's happening, so many, so many things that are going on in my life. I've got schedules and school and work and sports and just so much that's happening there. And... The problem with this, here's the problem with a distracted people, is that distraction makes intimacy impossible. Write that down. Distraction makes intimacy impossible. And so today I want us to look at a passage of scripture where the word distraction is only used once. In all of the Bible, the word distraction is used once, and it's in the passage we're going to read today. For those who have been in church for a while, this is probably going to be somewhat of a familiar passage, but I want us to look in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, if you want to go there with me, we're going to look in verse 38 through 41, and this is what it says. It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary, I want us to, I want us to, to, to look in at a couple of these big things. Everybody help me here. What, what did Mary do? She sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. To what he taught. But Martha, here's our word, was? She was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, it doesn't seem, it, it, it does, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Sounds like a wife right there, right there. I, he's, just, he's just sitting there doing nothing. What, she's not doing anything. I'm over here trying to get all this food together, 
trying to get all the play sets together, trying to get it all worked out, and she, she's just frustrated. I feel, anybody? Y'all feel her? Like, I just feel her. I feel her. Like, I feel that. Tell, tell, tell her to come and help me. Because I know if I tell her, she's going to be like, Psh, no, talk to the hand. But if you tell her, she's going to come. So the next verse, he says, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are what? And, and you're upset. You're worried. And you, I can see your little, little fashade there, all right? You're worried and you're upset over all of these details. Now, I don't know about y'all if y'all are, who, who, in the, who in the room's detail people? Like, if you're detail people, raise your hand. If you're, you're detail people. If you're not detail people, raise your hand. If you're not, you're not the detail people. Okay, the people who just raised their hand before, look at them. You're going to need them in your life at some point. But all the detail people, the people that just raise their hand, you need them because they need to keep you as well because they, you need them because you need to have a little fun in your life, okay? So it says, he says, listen, Martha, you're so, you're distracted and you're worried, you're upset. Other translations say you're anxious. It's just this anxiousness that's about you. He says there's only one thing. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary's discovered it. And it will never be taken away from her. Now, we only see Mary, this Mary, only three times in Scripture. And every time we see her, she's, she's very close to Jesus. It's because Mary has understood who Jesus was and has refused to get caught up in the busyness of life and she's discovered this importance of staying connected to Jesus. And Martha's frustrated, and rightly so. Man, tell her to get off of her lazy. Like, that's what, y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, just frustrated. Like, I'm over here doing all the work. We've got guests over. I want to be hospitable. And, and oftentimes what I find that happens is that we can, we can pit Martha against Mary. And there's some of you in here, you, 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 you identify with Mary. I just want to be with Jesus. I want to sit with Jesus. I want, to, I, want, I, want to, I, want, I want to just sit in these, you know, let's just take in the moment. And then there's some of you, you just so identify with Martha. You got the list, and, then you, and you've, got, you've got the things to do, and you want to be a good host, and, you know, you're just busy about doing all these things. And, and oftentimes what ends up happening is we try to pit them against one another as if one is better than another. And I don't think this passage of scripture is trying to get us to pit one against another. Because many of us are asking this question. Here's the question I think we need to ask today. Many of us are asking the question, how can I get more done? When we need to be asking, am I getting the right things done? We want to be productive people. There's nothing wrong with that. I want to be super productive. I want to make sure that my life is filled with productivity. I want to make sure that I'm doing everything that I should be doing. But I think sometimes our lives can be so busy, our lives can be so distracting, our lives can be so full that we're trying to just get, get a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of things, things done. And we don't stop to step back and go, well, wait, hold up. Are we getting the right things done? Are we putting our attention into the right thing? And so when people try to pit Mary versus Martha, Martha versus Mary, it's not about that. Here's what it's about. It's about Mary before Martha. Let me explain that to you. 
Because every time you cultivate a life that sits at the feet of Jesus, what ends up happening is when you get a download from Jesus, he gives you the power and then he gives you the plans to go be anointed like Martha. But what oftentimes is we want to be Martha, but we want to be Mary. We want to go do all the stuff, and if we got leftover, then we give the leftovers to Jesus. And what we learn in this is, no, I've got to start with Jesus, and then Jesus will empower me, Jesus will fill me, and then Jesus will help me to go on mission for him. It begins with a Mary perspective there, and many of us are trying to get our identity from what we do for God instead of understanding who you are to God. This happens all the time that you you don't even realize it, but I can show you how this plays out because what we do in kind of the Christianese world is is that we try to prove to God how good we are to him so we get to work. You know, we start serving, we start giving, we start, we overload our schedules with a bunch of things and they're good things. They're kind of even Christian things and we start doing a lot of this stuff. And, and we're serving and we're doing all that, all, all that. And we think that God, God, you see this, God, you gotta be proud with this. And God, you gotta, you gotta and look at me, look what all that I'm doing here. This is a lot of what Martha's doing. Look what I'm doing, I'm doing this all for you. I'm doing this for you. But what we fail to realize is we're trying to get our identity from what we're doing for God instead of actually connecting to God. And so when someone slides into the, to, to, to your life and, and they get blessed before you do, and you're like, whoa, 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 hold up, God, look what I've been doing. Don't you see what I've been doing here? And God goes, no, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't start there. It doesn't start from your activity. It starts with you just being with me. So as I said last week, what is God seeking? God's seeking a people who are wholeheartedly committed to him. Let me give you today's thing. Today is God is seeking a people who prioritize being with him. God is seeking a people who will prioritize being with him. And Mary refused to let distractions to cause her to miss the moment. Jesus is in my house. I'm gonna make sure that I'm spending my time with Jesus. And distractions and anxiety and worry, all of these things will vie for your attention. Notice what happens. Because Martha was so busy that she was starting to feel overwhelmed And oftentimes when we feel overwhelmed and we feel busy, here's the deal that that ends up happening. It's because we're disconnected from Jesus. And when you get disconnected from Jesus, guess what? You get worried and you get upset. This is the byproduct of what we see in Martha's life. She's so busy doing things for God that she's not spending time with God. And because she's not spending time with God, she's overwhelmed She's worried, she's anxious, all of these things that come. Watch, why is that? Because everything's on her. And some of us, you you feel that deep down. Like, if I don't do it, who will? Y'all feel that at times? Like, it's, who will? And God goes, listen, I I can handle, hey, maybe Martha has forgot, this is the guy that could take two loaves of bread and feed 5,000 people. Like, dinner wasn't an issue. I think he would, listen, if this guy could walk on water, I'm sure he could clean dishes magically too. Walking in the kitchen, what? Jesus. My girl, I got you, girl. I got you. Just come sit down with me. I got you. I got you. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, how many of you think Jesus could have done that? Like, you know, I'm going to spend time with Jesus. Like, you know, forget all that stuff. I'm going to just come spend time. Jesus could have taken care of all that stuff. 
but, but, but she wanted to take care of it all. And because she wanted to take care of it all, she missed out. So imagine, imagine what would happen the next week and go, I heard Jesus was at your house. Yes, he was. How was it? I don't know. I was in the kitchen cooking all this ham. No, he wasn't cooking ham. But I was, <laughs> I'm, chicken, chicken, lamb, fish. How was he? Uh, you know what? Maybe ask Mary. She spent time with him. Ask Mary how it was. You know, it's crazy we walk into church. Man, how was church? Man, I was, I was serving. I was, I was doing a lot of stuff. I was, you know, I was doing this and I was doing that. And I was, yeah, but how, how, was, how was service? Like, how was, uh, I don't know, ask such and such. They were, they encountered God. And so what ends up happening, yet again, things have to get done. We've got to do things. But there's a priority system here that has to happen. Do, do you not think that the devil is wise enough to know that he will do everything that he possibly can in his power to keep you from being connected to God? And I say this all the time, but if you're new here, maybe this is the first time you've heard this, and that is the devil will not try to make you bad. He'll just try to make you busy. The devil is perfectly fine with you not being bad as long as you're busy because he knows if you're busy, then you'll never connect with God. You never connect with God. You never get power. If you never get power, you'll always be overwhelmed. So guess what? He's going to make sure that you work every Sunday. And guess what? Every time you get up to go to spend time with Jesus, isn't it amazing how nobody calls you until you go spend time with Jesus? Then everybody calls you. Then all hell breaks loose and everything's going on. You're like, I'm just trying to spend time with Jesus. Do you not think that there is a demonic thing against that? Every time that you're trying to do this. How, how many know you kids are okay Sunday morning? Man, demonic. What's going on here? We're just trying to get to church. You beat three of your kids on the way here. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I just want to get to church with the joy of the Lord. But I'm, getting, I'm going to church because I need to repent to the Lord for forgiveness, for almost killing my children. Like, how I many know, where did their shoe go? They only got one of them. Where in the world? It's demonic. Y'all know what I'm saying? Anybody who said it's easy like a Sunday morning undoubtedly didn't go to church. Can I get a witness to somebody in here? Like, you and your wife were all good all weekend. Sunday morning, she woke up on some side, you woke up on a different side, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah! And he's like, you go to church. You're like, no, you need to go to church. Like, and so, y'all know what I'm talking about? It's like, like, man, I'm just trying to get with Jesus, and here it is, all hell breaks loose. Like, do you not see that that is a, a scheme of the enemy? And so today, as your pastor, I want to call all of us, and I'm speaking to myself, out of the world of distraction and into the world of intimacy. I want to call all of us out of this world of being so consumed with our devices and our phones and our work and our schedules that we prioritize being with Jesus. And see, Jesus didn't just commend Mary for being, because notice, that last verse that he had said, he said, and what she's done will be remembered forever. Now, if I'm the guy who's like prepping all the food and I'm, and I'm hosting the house and I'm all that, and you're going to remember her forever? Like, I did the work. 
she lazy. And he said, no, no, you're, you're missing. There's only one thing, though. There's only one thing that I'm concerned about. And the only one thing that I'm concerned about is that you spend time with me. That's all I'm concerned about. That's all I'm concerned about. And Jesus not only commended Mary for that. Watch this. Jesus was a man who was consumed with only the one thing. Let me show it to you. The very next verse, so right after he has this moment with Mary and Martha, the very next verse, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, says this, and now it came to pass as Jesus was what? Praying. Praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, here we go, Lord, teach us to pray, teach us to pray. Now, let me ask this question. Who in here would have loved to have watched Jesus pray? Anybody in here would love to have watched Jesus pray? Like watching the Son of God commune with the Father of God through the Holy Spirit of God, like it just had to be absolutely amazing to watch Jesus pray. Now, you gotta think about these disciples here. These guys had been invited into his inner circle. No one else had been invited into these, this inner circle. These disciples had been with him for three and a half years. And they have seen some things. Think about what these guys have, have witnessed. They've heard every message that he's preached. They've witnessed him raise Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus come forth. They've watched him take these, these fish and loaves and actually in their hands feed 15 to 20,000 people. They, they, all of this stuff. They, they had a moment. I, can you imagine the campfire moment when they're sitting around a campfire and they go, Jesus, tell us about that time when that lady came up to you and you said, someone's touched me. What was that touch like? Explain that touch to me. What was it? Because everybody was touching you. What was it about that woman's touch that made every, imagine the conversations you're sitting around the room, around a, a campfire, and Jesus is sitting here unpacking to you what it was like for him to walk into a place and for someone to have an arm that's not working and for him to literally heal the arm. Go, Jesus, what was that like? Tell us, how, how is this happening? Because these disciples saw something. They saw all of these miracles happen. They saw him walk on water. Tell us what that was like, Jesus. <laughs> Where did you pull that one from? And yet, and yet, there's not one time in scripture that the disciples ever asked Jesus, teach us how to do a miracle like that. Teach us how to multiply the food. Teach us how to raise the dead. Teach us how to cast out demons. Not once. But they did ask, Lord, teach us to pray. There's something about the way that you pray and you are connected with your father that we don't know. We've heard all of these Pharisees and Sadducees pray. We've been raised in church. We've heard these guys pray. They've taught us prayers to pray. But there's something about the way that you pray. And here's what the disciples are connecting. Watch this. The disciples are connecting that there is somehow connected to Jesus' public ministry is a result of his private intimacy. And everything that they're seeing Jesus do publicly 
is connected to how he's connecting with his father privately. And they're, they're making the connection here. So God, the, Jesus teaches how to do this. How, how, how do we pray like you? And so there we get what is now called the Lord's Prayer. And this Lord's Prayer was, was not just a prayer that we should just be praying, but it was a model. It was teaching us something about how he connected with his father. And so it says in Luke chapter 2, everybody here knows this. So Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, everybody help me. Come on, say that again. Our Father in heaven, okay, hallowed be your name. Okay, just that line, just that line teaches us so much about prioritizing time with God, about the power of prayer and connecting with him. He starts off with our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So I want to give you three things here about prayer. As we go into seven days of prayer and fasting, some of you, uh, you really love prayer. Some of you, it's very hard for you to pray. Some of you feel like you're not worthy to pray. Some of you feel like you're not connected with God. I pray today, by the end of today's message, you'll have a rekindled fire inside of your heart for these next seven days and beyond to know how much God wants you to connect with him. So it begins with our Father. See, because the first thing is this, write this down. Prayer is about a person. Prayer is about a person, and you have a father. Prayer is about a person, and you have a father. Now, the first lesson in prayer is this. The first lesson in prayer that Jesus realizes that he's got to deal with, he's got he's to deal with your prayer list. Now, just, just so I just know, how many of you have a prayer list? Like, you've got things on your list that you need God to pray. Yeah, you need God to answer. This is how it is. And so Jesus is going this. Okay, guys, listen. I want you to listen to me closely. Um, I, I, I want to know what's your list. Tell me what's your list. So I think Jesus pulls out a piece of paper and says, okay, tell me, tell me what's your list. What, what, what do you need? Okay, well, um, we need you to, to, to heal Uncle Johnny. Okay, heal Uncle, Uncle Johnny. Okay, all right, what else? What else you got? What else you got? Um, can, you, can you pray for uh, my grandmother? My grandmother right now, she's just having a hard time. Okay, pray for Grandmother, help me. Okay, what else you got? Marriage is in a really, really hard place. Okay, marriage is in a really holy place. Okay, what else you need? What you got? Uh, we need money. Okay, they need money. Okay, all right. What else y'all need? Uh, we need money. Okay, they need some more. They need more money. What else you got? Well, we could take some more money. Okay, we got some more money. <laughs> How many y'all feeling me right now? <laughs> it's like, it's been on your list 13 times. Okay, it's like every other. <laughs> Pray for deliverance and money. Pray for healing and money. Okay, all right, so I want to show you what, what God does. This is what he's teaching us. This is the first lesson in prayer. Takes all of your list, okay? Takes your whole list. He says, okay, need your uncle, your grandmother, your marriage, your money. Yeah, yeah, okay. Here's the deal. Prayer is about a person. It's not about a list. It's always been about a person. Our Father. Here's what he's saying. We'll get to the list. But let's just me and you hang out right here. Just me and you. So many people come to God with their list and miss 
the person. Our Father, you have a Father that wants to connect with you. The prayer list is a byproduct of what happens when you talk to your Father. Do you know who you're talking to? Like, like, let me help you here. Let me, let me just help you here. He is the father of lights. He is the father of mercy. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient. He is with you. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He is a God full of mercy and grace. No one's come before him, and no one's coming after him. He reigns eternal. He measures the heavens with the span of his hands. He can speak something, and it happens instantaneously. This is the God that you and I have been invited into relationship with, and he knows the amount of hair or not hair on your head. Like, that's how well he knows you. He knows how your bodies function. He knows when it's off. He knows when it's right. Like, this is the God that we serve. He is just, he is powerful, and he is a good father. This is the God that we serve. And the thought that comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. Because based off of what you think of God will determine if you go to him or if you run from him. Because if you think God is a judge and if you think God doesn't like you and if you think God is mad at you and you think God is, is y'all with me? You don't go to him. How many of y'all remember growing up in your home if you, if you had a dad that maybe had an anger issue, how I many know when you blew it, you weren't going to him. You were hiding. You were running. You're like, I ain't doing that. And for many of us, we have treated our heavenly father based off of our earthly father's experience. Listen to me closely. Don't allow your heavenly father to get the byproduct of what your earthly father did. This father is the greatest father. And the Bible says that even if you fathers know how to give good gifts to your sons, how much more do I have? Listen, we as fathers are nowhere near and compared to what this heavenly father is. This father knows what you need. And whether you've had a good dad or a messed up dad, nothing compares to this father. Nothing compares. This is the father that runs out to the younger son who's been at Vegas. And this is the father who runs out to the son who's been obedient. This is the father who runs out to the younger son who's been partying and drinking and sleeping around. But this is also the father who runs out to the older son who has had a fear-based, performance-based obedience. He runs out to the son who wants nothing to do with him, and he runs out to the son who's been in the house and doesn't want to have anything to do with him. This is the good father that we are a part of, and God calls both sons, the rebellious son and the obedient son, into the home for intimacy and inheritance. And God is calling you and I into the home Come spend time with me. Imagine if your children, fathers that are in here, mothers that are in here, imagine if your children did not want to speak to you. Some of you may even know what that feels like now. But imagine your children don't want to have anything to do with you. They just come to you with their, hey, I need some money. Hey, I just need, I need that. So that's, that's, that's our relationship right there. You just need things from me? Guys, no. Mm -mm. Nope. We may get to that. But right now, I just want you to want me. 
Just me, just you and me. Prayer is about a person. It's about God, the Father, coming to him. The second thing is that prayer is about a place. It's about a place. Notice it says, our Father who art in heaven. So prayer is not just a person. Prayer is a place. Not only is prayer a person, meaning you have a father, but prayer is a place, meaning that you have access. See, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is such good news because the death and the resurrection of Jesus paved the way for you to have unlimited access into the throne room of God. Like You can go before your father. You have direct access to him. And can I tell you what is the greatest enemy of prayer? Here's the greatest enemy of prayer and the greatest enemy of connection with God. Shame. Shame. You know why it's the greatest enemy of prayer? Because prayer is about confident boldness coming before God. And if you have shame, you stay away from him. You feel like you can't talk to him. God, you, you know, you, you got to be embarrassed by me. And so many of you have put yourself into a spiritual timeout because of the failures of your past. You have sitting into a spiritual timeout. And I, I want to ask you a, a, this question. At what point do you get to dictate how you feel in this relationship in regard to how God feels towards you? Why are you mighty enough that you get to dictate how he feels towards you? I mean, no, God is forever loving. God is forever forgiving. God is forever pursuing you. God is always after you. The Bible says he doesn't treat us as we deserve, that he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west, that God pursues us and loves us. And you are dictating your relationship with God based off of how worthy you feel. But I'm here today to tell you, you are worthy, you are beloved, you are his, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And he went to a cross so you could, he could die on the cross, rise again and go, you've got access to the Father. It's all yours. It's all yours. Well, man, I got to clean myself up before I go to God. Since when is the last time do you clean yourself up before you go to the shower? You know what I'm talking about? Like, no, you get into the shower to get cleaned off. The same as way we go to God when we have shame, when we have guilt, when we have sin. We don't run from him. We run to him because he's the one that helps us deal with it. Are y'all with me? Because we have, we have access before God. He's a loving father, a good father, and we have access to come before him. Let's, let's look what this scripture says. Hebrews chapter 10 says it this way. And so, dear brothers and sisters, everybody help me here. We can. Holy. Come on, let's say it again. We can. Holy. One more time. We can. Holy. Into heaven's most holy place. Because. Watch this. Not because of anything of you. Not because you went to our Savior's church this weekend. Not because you did seven days of Seek Week. Not because you fasted Dr. Pepper and the Lord's like, oh, bless him, bless him, bless him. None of that. You could come boldly before the throne of God to his holy place because of the blood of Jesus by his death. This is why the cross is so important. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And it goes on and it says this. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let who? Us. Let us. Let us. Look at the person next to you say, that includes you. That includes you. It includes everybody of us in here. Let us. 
go right into the presence of God. Let's go right into it. With sincere hearts, fully trusting him. And it goes on, it says, for our guilty consciousness have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. To make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. I know you got shame. I know you got guilt. I know you got all this stuff. Oh, man, look what I've done. Look what I've done. Listen, there is a blood that speaks a better word. There's a blood that speaks a better word than shame. There's a blood that speaks a better word than guilt. I mean, no, the blood of Christ breaks the power of shame, breaks the power of guilt, breaks the power of accusations. You are cleaned and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and I'm calling every person out in this house that has been hiding in shame and torment and accusation. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. You can come boldly to the throne of God. He welcomes you. Come, come. Well, he don't know what I did last night. Yeah, he does. Yes, he does. Come, come. Invitation's open. Come boldly to my throne. Come, spend time with me. Come with me. You need me. Come, be with me. We have access to God. We don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to go to a pastor. You don't have to go to another leader. Like you can hear God yourself. I want you to hear this. You can hear God yourself. If you call me, I'm probably just gonna push you back to God anyways. Seek him, see what he has to say. Look what Colossians 3 says. It says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, how many here have put your trust in Jesus? Raise your hand if that's you, that's you. Okay, all right, so this applies to you. If you raise your hand, you have put your faith in Christ as him as your Lord and Savior, this applies to you. If then you have been raised with Christ, everybody help me here, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. There's that word again, seek. It's pursuit, to go after, to obtain. We, we defined it last week to go after, to obtain, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek him, seek his kingdom, seek his presence, go after him. Can I tell you my dream for this church, my dream for you? I, I, I'm imagining Every day, especially those that are in here that are in parents, I want you to imagine this for a moment. Imagine those of you that are parents. The first thing you do every morning is that you get into a place, wherever that may be, maybe in your bedroom, maybe in your living room, maybe outside, but you go to a place, you break open your Bible, and you say, speak to me, Holy Spirit. Speak to me today. Before you go to your news app and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and emails and work things, you come to this place. You say, God, speak to me. And you put on some worship music, some worship music's going, and then you just have a conversation. God, I love you. God, hey, this is what's heavy on my heart today. God, I need you today. God, would you just be with me? 
Just imagine tears flowing down your face as you start praying for different people in your family and just say, God, I just need you. And God starts speaking to you about things and imagine your kids tiptoeing out of their bedrooms and they come outside or they come into that living room and they see mom or dad with their Bible open, communing with the Lord, communing with the Lord. And they realize, oh my God, mom and dad don't just talk about this guy on one day a week. This is someone they talk to every single day. Like, oh my God, this isn't just something we do on a Sunday between 9 and 10.30. This is something every day. And my mom and dad recognize that there is a real God, a real Holy Spirit that desires to, to fill them. What, what a legacy for us to leave to our children that they said, I don't remember much about my parents, but one thing I do remember about my parents is they were always spending time with God. They were always praying over us. Before every meal, they were praying over our family. Before every moment, when I was sick, my parents laid their hands on me. At night, before they tucked me in bed, they put their hands on me and said, God, help him deliver anything that's not of you. Fill them with your spirit. Use them to empower them. Come on, what would it look like in a moment that they connect, that Jesus is not just a once a week thing, but it's a daily communing with God. What would that do for this next generation? What would that do for the next generation? That if you're single in here, you're pursuing the Lord and all that you have. You're not seeking a first, a spouse. You're seeking first the kingdom of God, the things that are above. Question, does God know what you need? Let me ask that question again. Does God know what you need? Yes. Absolutely. And it's okay for us to bring things to him. It's okay to pray through the list. That's fine. That's fine. I have you right there. I have some prayer requests. I'm asking you for those things. But I pray, I pray, I pray that that doesn't, doesn't start there. I pray that it's not just me, 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 give me, give me, give me. But I pray that it starts with you, you, you. What do you seek? What do you want? What do you need? God, I'm here for you. So prayer is about a person. Prayer is about a place that we have access to. And lastly, prayer is about his name. It says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed. That word hallowed is holy is your name. Prayer is about a name, which means his name is power. And you have the power. Come on, look at somebody and say, I've got the power. Come on, you know you won't say that. You've been wanting to say that. Hey, now, I want you to see how this plays out. Uh, parents in here, you'll get this. If you have multiple children, have you ever had this where you send one of your children to go inform the other children of something? Hey, go tell your younger brother, you know, dinner's ready. Everybody, come on, it's time to eat. You ever had this happen? And, and that child comes back, and that child goes, they ain't listening to me, daddy. They ain't listening to me. And so then you go this, tell them. Y'all with me? Tell them, daddy said it's time for dinner. I mean, no, when they go in there, they go in with a new authority. It's not their own authority. They come in and go, and, and it's like, they're like confident. Daddy said, listen, daddy said, if you don't get in there, he gonna beat your butt. You know, they add all that extra stuff there. He gonna beat you and you better get it. You know, that's what they do. Why? Because there's like this like bold confidence that they got over them because they're like backed by dad. That's what they are. They're backed by dad. They got this new power, this new authority that comes upon them. And how many know this is what we do as Christians? This is what we do as Christians. You use your name, the, the demons are like, who are you? 
But listen, you don't use your name. You go, in Jesus' name. Because how many know when you walk in, you start using Jesus' name, demons run. Demons hide. Things have to happen. You start moving things forward. Use that name. Sing that name. Pray that name. Listen, cancer's a name. Addiction's a name. Doubt's a name. But there's a name that's greater than every name that's out there. The name of Jesus that has to bow to everything. Fever has to leave in Jesus' name. Tumors got to go in Jesus' name. Listen, division has to be thwarted in Jesus' name. Unity in the city in Jesus' name. God is doing something because it's the power is in his name, not in my name. There ain't nothing awesome about our Savior's church name or Pastor Josh's name. We lift up the name of Jesus. That's the only name I want people to know. That's the only name that I want people in their hands. This is it. All names bow to the name of Jesus. Your name bows to the name of Jesus. There's no name greater than this name. No name greater than this name. God is calling us. Church, God is calling us out of a, out of a world vying for your attention of distraction. He's calling you. You can feel it. Some of you, you feel this. You feel off. Something's off. Maybe your relationship's off. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you're upset. You've got all these emotions that are going on inside of you. Can we learn from Mary today? That God is seeking a people who will prioritize being in his presence. If you need marriage counseling, let me give you some marriage counseling. When have you sought God? You need, you need to make a decision, a really big decision that's coming up. Seek God. It's okay to get counseling. We're going to get some of that. It's okay to get wise counsel from other people outside of it. It's okay to go, but not first. Not first. I think 90% of people's problems will be eliminated if they go to God first before they go to people. And they would go, man, I got a father. I got a father who loves me. I got a father who wants to be with me. I got a father that wants to hear from me. I got a full on access to the throne room of heaven. Heaven can come down. There's full access because I'm a child. I'm a child of God. I get to come right on in, sit on daddy's lap and say, this is what's going on. And I've got his name. I've got his power. I've got it all. This is what he is. Would you do this? I want, I want us to practice this today. Would you just stand right there where you are? Stand all across this room. Would you do this? Would you just lift your head and lift your hands? Lift your head and lift your hands. All throughout scripture, we see this, this telling us, lift up your head, lift up your head, lift up your head. So much, think about depression, head down. Distraction, head down. God, we lift up our head today. God, I pray symbolically, God, as we lift up our eyes, the Bible says, lift up your eyes. Look to the hills, for that is where your help comes from. So God, today, Lord, we just depend upon you. Lord, we dedicate, Lord, this, this week to you as we begin this week of seeking the Lord. God, we repent if there's been anything that we've done that is, that, 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 that's been full of distraction. God, we've devoted ourselves to other things beyond you. Lord, we want to prioritize your presence. We want to prioritize your word. God, we want to prioritize being with you. Lord, we lift our hands and we lift our heads and say, God, we need you.